When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to Tell Me About Your Mother. This is our last episode of the third season, and we won't be back for a little while. So I thought it might be a good time to do a best of episode with some highlights from the first three seasons. Our very first episode featured writer Ashley C. Ford, who had a complicated relationship with her mom, and especially her mom's anger. she felt like I felt like she wasn't a good mother. And when she thought about everything she did for us and how hard it was, um, it made her really angry. Like, really angry. Yeah. And I was both afraid of her anger and extremely indignant about it. I, I felt like my mom's anger was always just too much, too far, and it often made me just... It made me angry, but in a different way, in a really controlled way. Mm -hmm. My mother and I deal with our emotions very differently. Yeah. I think I'm more open about my emotions, but I'm still pretty controlled. My mom is the kind of person who, even now, now less so, but especially when I was a kid, not very open about her emotions at all and angry all the time and not really controlled. Um, My mom did and said a lot of things that she would not apologize for, even if they crossed a line, which they often did. (laughs) And um, it was, but even then to me, it was so clear sometimes that she wanted to take something she said back, but she thought it would make her look weak or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, just like, not easy. My mom was a person trying to hide her emotions who had a very, very emotionally sensitive daughter. And I was her first child. Yeah. So, yeah. And how many siblings do you have? I'm the oldest of four. Okay. And she was a single mom raising yes. you guys. And yes. She, so she was, like, working and supporting. Working. When I went to college, um, had to fill out the FAFSA. I was so annoyed about the fact that so many people seemed to have parents who could help them with the FAFSA, and I didn't. She was just like, here are my taxes. You know, like it was a combination of the computer and, you know, just not knowing what she was doing, not, you know, all of those things. Um, But I remember doing, using her taxes to do my FAFSA and realizing that she made that year the most she had ever made in her life. And she had made about $37,000. Like that was how much money she made. And I had no idea that we were living off so little. Like, I never could have told you, like, you know. I didn't know how much, with four kids, by herself, you know? So, yeah. That 
weekend when I interviewed Ashley, I also interviewed two other guests, author Porochista Kakpur and Teen Vogue News and Politics editor Allison Maloney. I'll be back with highlights from those after a quick break. It's cold out here, mama. Yes, it's starting to snow. This episode of Tell Me About Your Mother is sponsored in part by StoryWorth, which is such a great idea in general and really perfect for a holiday gift. I don't know about you, but I definitely have relatives whose stories I wish I would have gotten before it was too late. And lately I've been thinking I should document my parents' stories too. That's how StoryWorth was born a guy who wanted to capture his dad's story. Now it's a service. You sign up for a year, either for yourself or for a family member or friend, and StoryWorth emails weekly prompts. Replies to these emails are then compiled into a memoir and a beautiful hardbound book at the end of the year. I know this show is called Tell Me About Your Mother, but I signed my dad up for this because his whole personal history is fairly mysterious. Last week, I found out, for example, that his dad, or at least the guy he thought was his dad, used to send him to a farm worker labor camp every summer to learn the value of hard work. But he didn't send his tall, blonde, blue-eyed brother. So yeah, a lot to unpack there. And we're getting stories from him that we'd never heard. The service is usually $79 for a year's worth of prompts and a hardcover book. But right now, Tell Me About Your Mother listeners can get $20 off. Go to storyworth.com slash tell me for $20 off. That's storyworth.com slash tell me. This episode is also sponsored by Zola, the wedding company that is reinventing the wedding planning and registry experience. Zola makes the whole wedding planning process really stress-free and easy by keeping everything in one place. You've got your free wedding site, registry, and affordable save the dates and invitations that can all be managed from a central dashboard. You start with the free wedding website, takes a few minutes to set up, super easy, really pretty templates to choose from and you can customize it if you want to. You can answer everyone's questions on there. You can include pictures and you can even add your Zola registry. So guests can get all the information they need in one convenient and beautiful place. The registry is great too, with over 500 brands to choose from, from Oxo and Cuisinart to Sonos and Airbnb. And the Zola store includes gifts at all different price points so everyone can find something. And free exchanges, shipping, and price matching make it foolproof. They also have this great thing where you can buy any items left on your registry after the wedding for 20% off. To start your free wedding website and also get $50 off your registry on Zola, go to zola.com slash tell me. That's Z-O-L-A dot com slash tell me. Okay, back to the show. I've lost my direction and you're going down slow. Kakpur's memoir of living with Lyme disease called Sick came out earlier this year. Like a lot of women, she was misdiagnosed for years and lost out on treatment time. Now she has late-stage Lyme and has really struggled this year. I met her during a fairly healthy time and thought her story about her mom, who'd grown up in Iran but raised her children mostly in the U.S., was super interesting. Here's a highlight from that interview. She, um, my, my mother still had very 
aristocratic tendencies or even like old debutante tendencies. Uh, um, even when we had no money in the U.S. I mean, I never saw my mother not wearing makeup growing up. I never saw my mother not impeccably dressed. But I knew that we struggled to eat. I knew that we struggled with like any basic expense. Yeah. My mother had a genius for still being able to look put together to make sure we looked that way. Mm-hmm. Um, the only difference was my brother and I had just grown up lower middle class and low class and we didn't care. Yeah. You know, we thought it was kind of cool to be poor. Yeah. Like we grew up in a, in a sort of sad apartment district in an otherwise like fairly, um, you know, I'd say upper middle class suburb. And we were in the bad part of town and we were with all the, you know, poor immigrant kids and we didn't mind that. And we thought it was great. I thought, you know, wearing T-shirts and shorts and baseball caps was great. And eating, you know, cafeteria food was normal. And I knew other kids had parents that would, like, drive them in fancy cars to school. I knew, you know. Um, but And we didn't have that. And I was, But I was at peace with that. And my dad had a pinto at one point. And a pinto was always the butt of jokes. Always. And I was like, holy shit, my dad actually has a pinto. So it was... Um, um, my mother's anxieties, I remember at one point she felt gutted that I was living the way that I did. I, it was in my teenage years and she thought what a tragedy it was that I couldn't go to the summer in Italy with her to go shopping. And I thought, who does that, mom? Yeah. She said, I did that. And so for me, that was like, wow, I don't understand you. Like, you know, and it was like in trying to become American, there are parts of me that understood her less and less every day, it seemed, at that point. Mm-hmm. And so we had this, like, interesting distance, I feel like. Um, she also had a lot of eating issues. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I still remember, like, I was always very enthusiastic about American junk food. Um, my, my, my brother and my dad and I, we have similar body types, so that we're, like, fairly, like, uh, on the thin side, we eat tons of junk and we don't tend to gain a lot of weight. My mother has a very different body type and, and she was always very voluptuous and in, in a sort of very beautiful way. She, she, but she really beat herself up about that and had always beaten, beaten herself up about that. In fact, in Iran, had been a champion swimmer and so she had some of that athlete's um, athletes like scrutiny of the body you know on top of being like the only daughter of a family where you know in a culture where sons are very championed and 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 daughters not so much so um, and she always got a lot of attention for beauty so she had in by her 20s she told me she had just stopped eating dinner she just didn't really eat dinner and so growing up I watched her constantly on all sorts of uh, very LA juice fast or you know she tried to do the thing of baking um, cakes or cupcakes and things like that for us and I would enthusiastically you know lick the bowl and I'd be so excited because I feel like a kid in an American sitcom yeah. and then my mother would be like oh you're gonna get fat don't don't do that be careful and then just there was a shadow of her and the issues of women um, and issues of women in Iran plus issues of women in America it was always like hovering around me and that I couldn't quite understand. Um, and then, you know, with all this in mind, I was, I, I, I like worshipped her. I mean, she was like, I had a different worship of my dad. You know, my dad for me was like, um, 
you know, so intellectually, just like an intellectual powerhouse. And, 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 and we had a weird, like father son relationship, which had some competition involved, but also, you know, it was always so hard to live up to standards, whether we were playing chess or, um, whether I was excelling or not in school with my mother, it was a different world. Um, she was not someone who, um, engaged in intellectual discourse she didn't really she wasn't much of a reader she had been when she was younger but she she really abandoned that and so for me growing up what my mother and I did always was go to malls Mm -hmm. and I spent a lot of time with my mother in malls and even now I spend time with my mother at malls Orochista and her mom have gotten closer as she's gotten older, but not everyone gets that shot. Alison Maloney's mom died when she was in her early 20s, for example. But in talking to Allie, and later in season two, talking to Lauren Muscarella, whose mom also died fairly young, one thing that came out was how our relationships to our mothers continue, even when the mom is no longer around or we're estranged from them. In Allie's case, her relationship with her mom is totally tied into her relationship with alcohol. Here she is explaining that. It's cold out here, mama. Yes, it's starting to snow. Um, so I was the baby, and by the time that I was born, my mom was so deep into alcoholism that I was an afterthought almost. Like, uh, my dad will be like, <laughs> he'll say, No, that's not true. My sister will say, No, that's not true, but you can tell because the pictures stop. You know, like, my sister is, um, my sister's well documented until she's about five. And then I, you know, there's no me in there. Um, so when I was three, um, my parent, my dad was trying to make it work and my mom went to rehab a couple of times and um, my dad was working full days and then picking up me and my sister from a sitter and my mom was just at home and she couldn't drive. and. Yeah, it was a, she, my dad said that she would just stay at home and make these elaborate, like, five-course meals. And would, she loved to cook and loved to do all that, but also loved to do it with a full, bottle <laughs> full wine. bottle of wine and hidden, you know, he said that she would go downstairs and check on the laundry and come back up and couldn't even walk. And when he, you know, he would go down and clean out and look behind stuff and there would be bottles and bottles of stuff. So she just committed herself to that after my sister was born and then I came along and then they got divorced when I was three Mm -hmm. and she split and went so we were in New Jersey and she just left and went to California and my dad has told me stories like over the years about what happened um, very you know select here and there but I know that she chose not to be faithful to him and that she her alcoholism drove her to just really like shitty self-doubt if that makes sense like she he said to me over Thanksgiving that she was just so scared that um that she was going to screw it up that she just screwed it up anyway and then committed yeah so by the time I was three she was just gone and then after that um it was just me and my dad and my sister After her mom left, Allie only had occasional contact with her, but she's still processing that relationship. Um, lots of letters, 
I have her handwriting, which is odd enough. I think if you, <laughs> at a certain point, like read something enough, maybe it becomes yours. But we would talk, and I remember talking on the phone for hours as a little kid. But like soccer games, dance recitals, anything, you know, it would be like, can you come? Or can my my dad and Gail, my stepmom, who divorced when I was thirteen, so they were married for ten years in this period of time. Mm-hmm. And Gail was, you know. Gail had a daughter of her own, and we all three became this family. But she would talk to my mom about, like, you know, you should try and move here, and, like, we'll go down there, and made a huge point of, like, meetups. But all of the meetups were, like, in these, like, roadside hotels, like a red roof inn off the highway in Durham. And I just, like, distinctly remember being, like, this little seven-year-old, you know? Like, it's time to go and, like, meet my mom, and, like, I'm so excited. And, like, no matter what, it was always disappointing. No matter what, it was always, like crushing because she's just never like the first time I heard we went over for Thanksgiving and my dad was like okay like I'm trusting you with my with Carly and Allie and we were in Florida and it was Thanksgiving and it's the first time I ever heard the f word was hearing her say fuck Thanksgiving all drunk and that night my sister locked me in a room because my mom was so drunk and called my dad and said we had a dog named Thunder and she asked again and again, how's thunder? How's thunder? Because that was our code word if my mom was too drunk. It was like, come get us. So my dad drove. He was at, I think, my uncle's house and drove two hours to come and get us with Gail and pick us up. And I remember police officers waking me up, picking me up off the couch. Like, that's my memory. You know, all of my memories are like, what the fuck? Just one after another. And like, I tried to count when she died, um, maybe how many times I saw her between three years old and... 2013 when she died and it was I mean probably less than 10 yeah like graduation high school graduation she was there but I was drunk and then college graduation she came and I was so you know I like embodied that behavior from for my whole life because it (laughs) because your mom didn't you know it's like my mom didn't want me what (laughs) I was 14 and scared and then my stepmom left and then it was you know it's just like this like total lack of mom Like, where are all the women going? Like, why can't... What's wrong with me that makes them go away? It's cold out here It's so cold It's cold out here I was super excited to close out the first season with an interview with a listener, Renita Parker-Mobley. Renita is awesome, and she had this really poignant story about her mom and how she made a conscious decision to shift their relationship a while back. Okay, so my parents divorced when I was like, it was just a lovely time um, to have your parents divorce, like right there at seventh, eighth grade. (laughs) Yeah, so they divorced right seventh, eighth grade. Um, My mom, like took up with this guy for, I mean, they got, they built a brand new house. They, she divorced my dad. They built a brand new home house together. Um, my dad got custody of us. Um, it was, it was a whole big scandalous deal. Um, cause people just don't do that in the country. And they had, they, I mean, they, they were ridiculous. They, I mean, I make light of it and, and just laugh about it now, but it was a whole after-school special, really. Like, they fought over us for a good while. And then finally, um, my mom was like, just took the higher road and was like, I was, what, 13, 14 at the time. 
and I had the ability to say where I wanted to stay. So she asked me and I was like, I want to stay with my dad. And, you know, they built, her and Rick had built this home with us in mind to live there. And I was like, no, I'm st I want to stay with my dad. And of course, my sister was going to stay with me. So they agreed um, for that. And, and I don't think she had a problem with it. It was, it was me. I had a problem with it, how it all went down. Yeah. I had a big issue with how it all went down. Um, just the cheating. Um, um, the presumption that we would just go and live with her and you would build a house thinking that it was going to go down like that. Like, with the guy that she cheated on your yeah, dad with? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. hard. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think she saw it as cheating. I think she saw it as this marriage isn't working. And I'm, you know, I got, I'm like, but you know, that's that you didn't do it the right way. You just, you know, you can't just like hook up with somebody in your aerobics class and then start dating them and then tell your husband, I'm leaving you and then leave like a thief in the night. <laughs> it was, it was a mess. I was just hard on her, just really hard on her. And when I heard the, um, the interview with uh, Sahara and her mom, I was like, my husband, I said, Rashad, I heard this interview and I was like, I want to, I want to talk to my mom about like her, like herself, like not her parenting me or, you know, hurt the mom side of her, but like her. And I want to like apologize for just being shitty and not being forgiving or understanding and like resentful and bitter. I didn't want, I don't want to be that person. We opened season two with a two-part episode featuring author and mega-popular blogger Heather B. Armstrong, better known by her nickname, Deuce. Heather grew up super Mormon and left the church at one point, which was tough to navigate with her mom. I didn't get sex ed. I didn't get, my, my parents never talked to me about sex. No, never. Either. I'm so no. glad that I didn't end up pregnant when I got, had sex for the first time because we didn't use a condom. Yeah. And I was 23 years old and yeah. I should have known better. Yeah. Um, but so... My mother and I had an extraordinarily close relationship growing mm -hmm. up, which I destroyed when I left the church. <laughs> but we, we rebuilt it. Yeah. We rebuilt it. So that is the one thing that I have really, really striven. Striven? Is that a, a word? I'm a writer. I, I should know this. Is the, yeah. I it wouldn't be strove. Striven. Yeah. I yeah. strive to develop my, a relationship with my children that my mom developed with me which yeah. is you can come and talk to me about everything so yeah. my thir my 13 year old is thoroughly versed on sex yeah thoroughly versed on sex <laughs> we have discussions about having children all the time and what it means and how much it costs and like here's what healthcare is costing me and yeah, this, the reason great. that we can't go do this thing is because i have to budget for your braces that we just got right um i think our culture is a lot more open about i mean we have what are called home words mm -hmm. my children hear the word fuck all the time i can't stop yeah. myself i'm the um, same i i didn't I, that's a good word for it but i've basically just said like you know you can say these words at home but out aside in the world like some people have problems with these words because yeah. i just like i just can't get behind the idea of any words being like bad <laughs> you know what i mean it's like that's just dumb <laughs> dumb it is i think our generation is just so much more open to um, relaxing a little bit about certain things that we don't need to be so uptight about. Yeah. And understanding 
the close calls that we had. Yeah. Like, oh my God, how did I not get a disease? Mom, why didn't you teach me these things? Yeah. Or so like yeah. my mom never sat me down and said, you need to go pee after you have sex or you're going to get a bladder infection. Yes. So I many know, bladder infections could have been avoided with that combo. <laughs> this is just being extremely open. First time I had sex, I got a bladder infection. And I was like, what is going on? What yeah. is this? Yeah. And it was like. Do I have a disease yeah, now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Like having those conversations, where I think we're, we're we are we're like, oh my god, what a close call that was. That we're like, oh, I'm not going to let my kid even possibly get near that edge. We also scored interviews with a couple of hilarious comedians in season two: Aparna Nancherla and Marcella Arguello. Like Porochista in season one, both Aparna and Marcella grew up with mothers who had been raised in a different culture and didn't always understand their American daughters. Aparna's mom eventually gave up on the idea of either of her daughters having an arranged marriage. Growing up, I wasn't allowed to date. And I think my sister sort of broke down that barrier first where she wanted to like push push the envelope (laughs) on that and be like, why can't I? And, you know, it's it's so the norm here that it's kind of hard to be like, oh, I'm I'm going to just do what my parents did. But I think my parents, at least from the beginning, were like, oh, you guys should both, you know, get arranged marriages or we should at least like talk to our friends about people who could be potential matches for you. And I yeah. think we were always very like opposed to that just because it felt very um, forced or something of yeah. like trying to force a different culture onto how we, we grew up. And yeah. I do think that it sort of makes your approach to a relationship different in that you're you're not like looking necessarily for the connection first you're looking yeah. for more like what would be a stable arrangement yeah. for like long term um yeah security so i think in that sense dating made less sense to them in that it's kind of doing the opposite objective first um but now i think they're more like my sister and I, I think have both been so uh like not conventional in so many life choices that I think they're sort of just like as long as you guys are happy like yeah. we can't obviously you're not gonna like kind of stick to this formula of what what is expected of people so yeah we're we've kind of made peace with that yeah <laughs> Marcella's mom is just now sharing some stories with her about the casual racism she faced when Marcella was a kid. You know, she told me the story about when she first moved to Modesto, and they, you know, because they're living in the suburbs. They got this nice little house. Um, it's a very, it's it's a white neighborhood. Yeah. And um, and she told me, and it wasn't until because that's what's interesting is how open she's gotten a after my dad died, but also. Now with Trump, it's mm-hmm. like I'm hearing all these stories that I had never she had never shared with us. Mm-hmm. And um, so she she was saying how when she first so when we first moved at the house, I think she walked my one of my brothers or something to school or it, it's something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's elementary school, it's walking distance. So she said when she walked home, um, she goes in the house and then there's a knock on the door, and um, it's the cops. And they're asking her what she's doing here. What are you doing here? And she was like, "What?" They're <laughs> like, um, "Why are you, why who why are you in this house? Wh- whose house is?" It? She was like, "This is my house. Yeah, I live here." Yeah. And the cops are just bugging her and harassing her at her in her doorstep. Yeah. 
And um, she she kind of put it together. She was like, oh, the neighbors, A, don't know me. B, they saw me walking, you know, first they walk, I'll walk away, then I walk back in. Yeah. And they just assume I don't belong here. And now I'm getting harassed by these policemen. I'm yeah. have to explain myself. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And, um, you know, she, you know, she has dark skin, she has an accent. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they, I mean, she, she saw a lot, but because she's a little more on the quiet side, um, and she just kind of accepts shit. Um, she, 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 you know, and that's how, how lot, a lot of immigrants are yeah. for being real. They just kind of take the abuse that's yep. happening in public because they're so scared that of what's in you know, the repercussions. Mm-hmm. But I thought her mom's way of dealing with races is pretty hilarious. But my mom also has a, a good sense of humor about things because she told me um, when when people ask her questions and she doesn't want to talk to them, she says, no, no English. <laughs> and I was like, that's fucking hilarious like that's such a baller and it was one of those things where it started making me realize all those like racist white people yeah who are like you need to speak english you fucking dumbass mother yeah it's like no they probably do they just don't want to talk to you and i was like that's so brilliant that's so funny it's such a fucking stunt and i love it so now every time i hear someone be like you gotta learn english and it's like maybe they do maybe they don't want to talk to you yeah maybe they are racially profiling you Think about that. We wrapped up season two with one of our most popular episodes ever, featuring journalist Maya Francis and her mom, who sounds like a total force. One thing I think my mom is is it's really interesting about her, right? Is that she is totally about, you know, protecting her story, knowing what her story is, knowing what her motivations are. That's my mom is very like um direct and assertive and I get a lot of that from her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, she she's also very like, I don't know you an explanation about what happened when you weren't here. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, like this is my story and this is my life. And like she'll pointedly tell you, tell me like that's none of your business. Right. <laughs> like she's very good at boundary setting. So like yeah. there have been times growing up where I would ask her any number of questions about her, about my dad, about family, about whatever. And she'd be like, that's none of your business. And I'd be like, OK, whatever. Right. Um, and I think that. You know, as opposed to like in some families, you know, people might not lie, but tell tell a story, you right? Know, whatever that story is to fit that narrative. Like she is totally a person who lives her life where like she doesn't owe anyone explanation for things that this is like this is her show. Right. Yeah. And so I think that alone, like her having that posture about so many things for me has mm-hmm. just really solidified like my mom is her own person. And she does not feel that because I am her child that like she needs to genuflect and you know become this softer you know caricature of like what motherhood is she's like yeah. you know my name is janet and i'm your mother and this <laughs> is how this works right um and so i think that's really cool in the sense that it's also empowered me to be the same way right that mm-hmm. i don't need to fit myself in a in a box to make this story you know that will help other people understand who i am yeah you don't need to explain that And that brings us to season three. This season has been filled with writers again. We started with writer Sarah Miller. In the months since this interview ran, Sarah's amazing essay, The Movie Assassin, in Popular, where she also works as an editor, went crazy viral. It starts with her hating the English patient and ends with her hating capitalism. And it is well worth your time. Go read it. Yeah, we had a conversation a couple of years ago where she sort of addressed like a sort of distance between us. and, And I was like, just... I really wanted to be able to um, 
cross it, that distance. Mm -hmm. But I felt really incapable of doing it. And mm -hmm. I just, I feel like, and this isn't her fault or anybody's fault. I, I feel like I'm kind of a cold person in these weird pockets of my life. Mm. I have that too. And I don't know <laughs> where they come from, but sometimes people will be talking to me and I will just, I, and I, I, other people must have it too. Right. Like I see it with my, my boyfriend sometimes like, and he's a great person and we have mm -hmm. a really good relationship, I think. Yeah. Um, and, but I, when you're close to somebody, you can see them shut down and I just shut down sometimes. We also scored an interview with Rebecca Traster, author of Good and Mad, who had one of the best stories I've heard yet about when she first realized that her mom was a person separate from her identity as Rebecca's mother. I was coming back from the dentist. God knows how old I was. I was obsessed with Whitney Houston. Mm -hmm. I might have been nine. I might have been eight. I might have been 10. I don't know. It was in that general. Whenever Whitney Houston was like, I want to dance with somebody. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and I had been in the dentist's office and I'd been reading a People magazine profile of Whitney Houston and I was full of facts about Whitney Houston. And I was, we were coming <laughs> back from the dentist and I was just reeling off facts about Whitney Houston to my mother probably for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And at some point she said something that was like, Rebecca, you have to stop saying that I'm so bored you have to stop this conversation. And it was the most like, I, so in a funny way that is, that was me realizing that she was like, that her function was not just to listen to like the people magazine trivia that I just heard about my favorite current celebrity, <laughs> but that um, like she was a person who was probably trying to think her own thoughts while driving her kid home from the dentist. Yeah. And that she just sort of, it just came out of her mouth. Like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> And we ended with another chronicler of women's anger, Amy Roost, whose podcast, Fury, we distribute on the Critical Frequency Network. The folks that Amy's interviewed on Fury have also written essays for a book that she's helping to compile and edit by the same name that will be out hopefully next year. Amy had a really loving but also really challenging relationship with her mother. One thing that stuck out for me was how this one story about her mom trying to get a loan really spoke to women's history in general and how much women's independence has been tied to their ability to access capital. I remember going with her in San Diego to a bunch of banks and she just said, get in the car, we got it, we have to go to the bank. And mm -hmm. so we went to the, to the bank, the first bank, and I stayed in the car and she came out and she, I could see she was about to cry, but she was just kind of like holding, holding it together for me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what was going on, but I knew she was upset and I was kind of, you know, trying to be a good girl, yeah. <laughs> not make her more upset. And then we, we, you know, she drove up this Rosecrans street in San Diego and she drove up the street a little ways and she pulled into another bank. Mm. And so then this, she said, I want you to come in t inside with me this time. So we go into the bank and mm -hmm. she's asked to see a banker and, and I'm holding her hand and, and um, she's actually holding my hand. I remember her like taking my hand mm -hmm. and we sit down at this banker's desk and she says, you know, I'm, I'm recently divorced and um, I just moved to San Diego and I'm trying to open a line of credit. Mm -hmm. And, and he, you know, he asks, well, you know, are, do you have a job? No, I don't have a job, but I have alimony. I'm receiving child support. And it was just, sorry no you know and and i think he, no he i think he asked um what about credit history and so 
and we get, you know, like she's like visibly now, you know, about to lose it. And so we, she takes my hand and she's like, okay, well, thank you very much. And she just like walks out of there really fast. I think like hoping she can get out the door before she starts crying and we Mm -hmm. get in the car and then she's just crying. And so then um, we go further down this rose crowns and we pull into another bank parking lot and she says, okay, you're coming inside with me again. And we go in and this time um, she gives them sort of the sob story, you know, like my, you know, son is uh, sick and, you know, I have three children and I'm responsible for all of them and blah, blah, blah. And um, I'm, you know, single and I, you know, I have, you know, all these credit cards, but they were all in my husband's name. And I remember this man very well because he was, um, he had, I I remember he had, the the only thing I remember about him is he had really yellow teeth, (laughs) but I just remember the yellow teeth and he was bald. And I remember those two things. And I just remember, but staring at his yellow teeth and he was listening and nodding his head. And then um, he's like, well, I'm going to give you a bank card with a thousand dollars on it. And that was what they called a credit card, like a bank credit card in those days was a bank card. Mm -hmm. And so then my mom did start crying. She started just, she lost it. And um, because she was just so grateful to this, this banker and a thousand, even that was a thousand dollars. I mean, I guess in 1972 dollars, it was more than, you know, obviously, but anyway, um, that was a bank of America. And I still to this day bank with bank of America, even though they piss me off um, (laughs) because I just feel a sense of loyalty to them because they were the only bank that would give my mom credit after her divorce in 72. There have been a lot more than just these episodes, and they're all great. I'm not playing favorites here. I'm so appreciative of how open people have been and how much of their time they've shared. It's amazing. If you haven't heard all the episodes, go back and give them a listen. I'm not sure when we'll be back, but we will be someday, and I hope to see you then. Thanks for listening. Tell Me About Your Mother is part of the Critical Frequency Network. It's produced by me, Amy Westervelt, and our music is by B. Beeman. Original illustrations for each episode are drawn by James Guthman. Mm-hmm.